we're going to have Joel and Mari uh, talk about the important subject of workforce and employees and how organizations through the pandemic are actually responding to some of these really, really tough challenges. And Joel, let's start with you. Can you just talk a little bit about what Spectrum's doing in the area of employee experience? Sure. Uh, thanks, Lydia. Truly, these are unprecedented times that we're working through, and, and I'm sure the challenges that we're facing are, are very similar to a lot of the challenges that you're facing out there. To, to, for a little bit of context and background, you know, our hospitals and long-term care facilities, our volumes are extremely high. I think between seeing the COVID rates climb back up because of the Delta variants and people needing the care that they put off in 2020, the demand is high. Almost on a daily basis, I'm getting a high census alert notification on my phone and laptop from our command center asking the organization to focus on discharges. We are full. At, at the same time, the economy has bounced back in 2021, I think quicker than many of us expected. Many companies um, are in desperate need of workers and, and we're no different. Inflation is creeping higher. Wages um, are increasing very quickly. In the States here, we don't have a cap, maybe like there is in Canada, which is gonna present some unique challenges and I'll refer to those a little bit later. But, but turnover is going up because employees are job hopping. Days to accept are, are going up. Declined offers are going up and it can be very discouraging when I hear from our talent acquisition team trying to find candidates. But that pales in comparison to what I hear about our, from our clinical units. Um, we're, we're short staffed and it's hard to find workers. This past summer, Michigan's labor participation rate hit an all-time low of 58.9%. And unfortunately, COVID has made healthcare a little less attractive to many workers. Then you have here in the States, our government's provided some um, additional unemployment benefits. So many workers chose to disengage um, from the workforce during the heights of the COVID. And, and why wouldn't they when um, the unemployment benefits uh, had a higher wage than 41% of the workers in West Michigan? And while that subsidy has come to the end, uh, we're waiting for that influx of workers. The concern is that that's in that disengagement might be long-term or permanent. I think we've maybe all stumbled across the articles about the great resignation or the, the COVID paradox or the, the start of the pandemic that, that is, is potentially right around the corner. And, and as a healthcare organization, you know, we've decided to require COVID vaccine for the vast majority of our, our team members. And this is gonna dissuade some people from wanting to join our organization. We, we recognize that. And it will also impact some of our current employees as that requirement is due in October, mid-October. So we'll see some employees, I'm sure, opt out of working for us. And all of this has then just created a, an environment of a rise in stress, frustration, and burnout. Obviously the economic and staffing challenges are requiring us to look at many of our pay practices and make some significant, costly, short and long-term commitments to our staff. So along with activating a lot of our critical staffing pay programs, we're addressing hourly wages, the base rate, increasing sign-on and retention bonuses with the goal to attract and retain our team members. But it often feels like a losing battle. Just yesterday, I had one of the vice presidents in HR from one of our systems in, in uh, Southwest Michigan send me a flyer from a competitor that was offering a $55 an hour premium above their base rate for agreeing to a 15 week uh, assignment. It is just crazy out there what we're, we're experiencing. And it is hard to keep up and being a healthcare organization paying for it is, is, is obviously a huge challenge. But monetary solutions aren't the, are only gonna go so far when you're faced with exhaustion and burnout. Um, so one of the things that we're focusing as an organization is just that team member health and experience. I think some of our short-term solutions we have are to expand our wellness efforts, to include options that help with work-life balance. 
as a result of COVID, we know that caring for a family while they're at work um, has become more of a challenge, whether it's after school care or caring for a child who's homesick or caring for your children while you're working from home or the responsibility for aging parents who might be struggling with COVID, many team members need additional support. And, and we've learned throughout COVID that life is very unpredictable. So to help alleviate some of those issues with our, our, our staff, we've provided them membership to uh, tools like care.com that, that connects people with, with nannies and babysitters, senior caregivers, housekeepers, people to run errands and tutors, things to help once again with that work-life balance. Uh, we've also provided concierge and personal assistance uh, services to our team members through our employee assistant program. It's available to all of our staff, regardless of benefit eligibility. Team member pays only for the goods and services that they're purchasing, and it can help support everyday tasks. I know I took advantage of them this past year. My son and uh, his fiance were going to get married during COVID. That was a crazy time, and we needed help trying to secure somebody that could do some catering for us. So we had the concierge do all that research, provide the information for us so we could make a decision. Uh, it, it was a great tool to help with, with work-life balance. Our employee assistant program is also then developing tools to help our leaders recognize and support team members who are experiencing difficulties outside the work, because we know that affects life inside of work. From an emotional and well-being perspective, we provide staff members with a membership in Headspace, uh, which is a meditation and mindfulness app designed to improve health through meditations, articles, videos, anytime, anywhere. And it has a large selection con uh, related to content on stress and anxiety, work and performance, and even has tools to help a person fall asleep at night and, and improve their sleep quality. So those are things we are doing to help with the employee on, on maybe the emotional or, or side of work. But we're also looking at the administrative aspect of the work that they're doing and looking to constantly improve that through reduction and streamlining of processes. Several years ago as an organization, we, like many organizations, invested heavily in our EMR and consolidated and moved to Epic. But over the past three years, we pivoted to focus on the back office suite of technology. And we moved from Lawson, our, our core ERP, to Workday in finance, supply chain, and, and HR. We had a big bang go live this past January 1st with the full suite of products and, and doing the design and implementation during COVID was very challenging, but we had a good partnership with Workday and KPMG and it was a great success. Um, a key to that uh, that we focused on was how do we make life easier for our staff and leaders? We did this through streamlining a lot of and digitizing a lot of our business processes. Anything that could be moved from paper to an electronic form, we did. Everything is now routed electronically for a signature. Processes, speed, and experience all improved considerably. At the same time, we launched the whole solution on a mobile app, allowing leaders and team members to access information, data, processes, whenever and wherever they are. No longer do they need to find their laptop, fire it up, make sure they're connected to Wi-Fi, sign in, get into the app to do their work. For many of the things, they could just do it on their phone. Um, so I'm going to end with maybe just a really good personal life example using their workday implementation. Um, just as a disclaimer, this is not something that I recommend, but it worked well for me. Admittedly, I have a bad habit, probably a lot of you do too, of keeping my phone next to my bed at night. It's unfortunately probably the last thing that I look at before I go to sleep and the first thing that I look at when I get up in the morning. I had a staff member who, was, uh, who let me know that they were going to resign so she could move with her husband to North Carolina where he just received a promotion. 
Uh, and she let me know that she was going to submit her resignation in Workday, which is one of our new processes. So sure enough, one morning I was laying in bed, grabbed my phone, saw the notification out there, clicked on that notification and it brought up her resignation, asked me to fill in a few things, the reason why and the date, and I hit submit and it took all of that information and passed it on to be processed, to make sure that she was paid out uh, all of her PTO and everything that she needed to have done upon leaving. But the great thing was then it asked me, do you want to post this position? And sure enough, I did. So I just clicked yes. Once again, filled out a few things, just a few drop downs, and hit submit, and it routed the, the requisition on for approval. So here I was in bed. I hadn't even gotten out. In less than five minutes, I had accepted the resignation. I had posted the position. It made my life easier. And these are the things that we're looking with the new tools, back office, or what are the things that we can do to make the life of our, our, our team members, our clinical workers, our leaders easier. And that's what we're investing in at Spectrum Health. That's great, Joel. Uh, wow, you guys are certainly doing a lot. I know that a number of the challenges that you just described are, are very similar to what uh, we're experiencing here in Canada, for sure. Um, I love that theme, of kind of making work easier, not just for the frontline staff, but also for folks that are in leadership roles too. Uh, so if it's, if it's you know, just a better experience overall, I do think that that significantly contributes to the employee experience, but some of these other um, uh, practical things you talked about are, are really important measures. And I'm gonna I'm gonna ask Mari to to come in because I'm just picking up on Joel's thread, Mari, around sort of what are we thinking about for workforce and and you know really uh, dealing with some of these challenges that Joel started talking about with staff shortages and the like. What kinds of things are you doing at Chio to uh, to also look at workforce challenges in the Canadian context? Thanks, Lydia, and thanks so much for having me here today. Uh, I'm really actually quite floored by how the American experience is compared to the Canadian experience or the long-term care experience as compared to the pediatric experience. We're all going through the same thing and yet responding in slightly different ways uh, as per our context. Um, the other observation I made in, in prepping for this is really what we've experienced through COVID is why the triple aim evolved to the quadruple aim. And for those that understood that early on and prepared for it, they were much um, better prepared in their response versus those of us who were still focused on the triple aim have struggled to make sure that our people are okay. 18 months ago when the pandemic hit, uh, the healthcare community, the providers, we all did what we always do, we responded. And the, the word that everyone's sick of, we pivoted. As Bob mentioned, thanks to the government's investment in virtual care, we got to do really amazing things. At CHEO specifically, so we pivoted to virtual care. You can imagine for kids waiting a month, when that's 10% of your life, that month matters an awful lot. And so our providers did step up and uh, managed to deliver virtual care, in some cases mental health specifically, to 100% of our patients. So able to, to maintain the same values we did before because of our investment in front end solutions in the direct care delivery software and the training associated with that. We also did a virtual ED. Our, um, our ED physicians were really scared as our, our volumes dropped to 10% and they knew really sick kids were at home while maybe not affected as badly by COVID, they weren't coming in and what diagnoses were being delayed what challenges were sitting at home and not being cared for uh, was scaring them. And so setting up a virtual emergency department let us make sure that people were able to access care safely and then come in when it actually was required. So we really introduced a whole new model of care 
what I loved about that one is staff who maybe needed to self-isolate because of potential exposures through their family or travel were still able to contribute and, uh, and keep patients flowing through the hospital, even though they never stepped through our doors. My favorite was virtual rounds. Uh, we're a 50-year-old building soon, and to try to pour all of the providers, the parents, the patients themselves into a shared room just couldn't be done during COVID. And so virtual rounding through Epic and, and Zoom let all the team members, parents, grandparents, whoever you want involved in rounds could now be in a really private um, but robust conversation. So uh, patient and family engagement went through the roof and actually we saved a bunch of PPE as people could uh, participate in rounds from their own offices. So really some amazing stuff. We were, I feel like we were relatively prepared for COVID clinically because of those investments in our hospital information system, which I like to think of as an ERP for healthcare. We understood our patients and we understood what they needed from us. Sadly, the same was not at all true for our staff and our medical staff. And I think that's what we've heard through all of these presentations. Um, Chio's pretty fortunate. We're in you know, a city that people like to live in. Cost of living's not too high. People like to work in pediatrics, um, but it still wasn't enough when COVID struck. Uh, the patients did well, but as an organization, uh, we really were challenged pretty much like all of you, I imagine, from the questions we've heard and the stories we heard from the states, although I'm really grateful we're not paying $55 an hour more because I know we can't absorb that. Um, and in large part, our challenges were around lack of information. Again, on the back end, information about who we are and how we work. Um, the best example, and again, I'm sure every one of us has been through this, is redeployment. So when the first wave struck, we said, okay, anyone not in critical care, we need you to help out uh, in critical care. So 80% of our non-critical care staff were redeployed. The problem was they were screening people at the door and wiping down chairs. We had no idea who maybe was an ICU nurse in a previous life that was now a manager or who could help out technically to support people that, that were struggling with virtual trauma, like we didn't know what skills people had beyond their essentially their job title. And so really feel like there were hidden treasures within our team and within our OHT, within our Ontario health team that really could have been flowed to new areas to help things run more smoothly. But because we didn't have the data, we weren't able to do it. Same thing on vaccination, fast forward nine months, and thousands of people hours were spent combing through lists of people to make sure that vaccination distribution was equitable and fair and following provincial guidelines as to who should get it first. So managers that should have been supporting their staff that should have been rounding on patients instead were mining spreadsheets to try to understand what should happen next. And so um, just a massive waste of and not supporting the people we so desperately need to support. Um, the last one is failed screening. So everyone's got their systems to screen staff before they come into work every day. And our staff are so crucial now, every person on every shift is precious. And so if someone fails screening, it's not enough to just send them home again. We need to make sure they have a tool that tells them what's next 
and identifies opportunities for them to maybe still do their shift, but in another way. So back to that virtual ED idea. Okay, if you can't come in and work in the virtual, in the actual emergency department, could you take on a shift in our virtual emergency department? Entirely new ways of staffing the hospital. Suddenly geography doesn't matter. Location doesn't matter in the same way. But if we don't know who you are and what you're capable of, we can't take advantage of those models. Um, so as Joe mentioned, lots of ways um, that we can support our teams going forward. The first one is to always learn from banking. Uh, healthcare loves being 20 years behind banking. So let's, let's allow for self-service options. Let's give our staff what they're expecting when they interact with the hospital, be able to schedule themselves, make things seamless for them. Uh, as I mentioned, families love virtual care. And so let's make sure that we are building the systems that allow people to support families from wherever they are, whether that's within the city, the province, the country, or somewhere else in the world. Home care really is the future. And that doesn't just apply to long-term care, but also for, for young children that require care in their homes. We just, as of Monday, our OHT took on home care responsibilities for kids in our region, but suddenly we have to expand our systems to support a whole new type of worker, a worker who will never walk through our doors, but they still need the training, they still need the access to community, they still need the access to communication and data to do their jobs well. So super exciting but challenging times. We're a little earlier in our journey than Joel, um, but I do feel like COVID allowed us to experiment. Most of those experiments were successful. And so now we take the time to harden and solidify those processes. So we, we continue on and do better in the years ahead. Mari, that's amazing. I, I just, I love some of the really practical examples that you gave, like the fact that you could significantly increase patient and family engagements with virtual rounds. I mean, that's not something typically that would have happened in the hospital prior, right? Or um, if, if a staff member failed screening, you provide an alternate approach to work, to still work, but maybe in a virtual way. I, I just love those examples. And those are exactly the kinds of things that I wanna um, you know, have, our, have our panelists talk about today. Um, Dina and Bob, I'm just gonna quickly go to you guys, just in terms of um, re reacting to Joel and Mari's points around sort of some of the things they're doing creatively to deal with some of these workforce challenges. Anything that you want to, to want to ask or comment on? Dina, over to you. Oh, happy to. So first of all, Joe, Joel, Mari, thank you for sharing your stories. It's, so one of the things that I love best about our industry is our willingness to collaborate and share our stories with one another. And, um, you know, I think I, I'm right down the road from Joel and it's hard not to get overwhelmed every day from the stories that we hear from uh, from our partners and our clients on the real challenges that we're facing from a staffing perspective, right? So, you know, last year there was a lot of conversation around redeployment, as you mentioned, Mari, like taking people out of the lab and maybe having them do registration or different things. Now we're, we're hearing stories of physicians being redeployed as nurses or the administrative staff being asked to sacrifice 10% of their workforce to go do whatever is needed on the front lines. And we're seeing um, some of the same things, Bob, that you mentioned with just folks leaving the profession altogether, right? We're also seeing a tremendous amount of, of folks that are leaving the, an institution that they maybe have been at for five or 10 years and choosing to be uh, a contracted employee um, with, you know, sometimes 
five digit or four digit, four digit a week uh, compensation arrangements. And then we're seeing a number of folks who said, you know what, I just need a break. So I still want to stay employed, but maybe I only want to work four hours a week. And so it's just created this this tremendous challenge that we're facing, you know, just across the board. But I think there's opportunity. And Mari, I think it hinges on what you said, right? Last year, we learned a lot about how to test ourselves on delivering clinical care differently. And we knew our patients. But I don't think that we really understand the typical healthcare worker and, and what matters to them and what levers to pull. And what, Joel, what I heard from you is just a tremendous amount of programs and interventions and support systems that you're playing around with and, and seeing kind of what sticks. So I'd ask the two of you, if you think of, you know, if you reflect on the workforce and some of the things that you're playing around with and what really does matter to the employee, is there, is there one thing that you think really might have some merit um, that, you know, that you'd call out as, you know, the early light, the beacon of light that it certainly might not be a magic wand, but might have some real steam behind it as we think about the future. So this might be a bit different between Canada and the U.S., but what we've learned is our system was built on the part-time and casual staff. And the only way we got to baseline staffing anytime when we weren't over our, our absolute minimum patients, we essentially trusted that our casual and part-time staff would step up. And that's not fair and that's not sustainable. And they're all gone now because there are better jobs other places. And so if there's one thing we need to do, it's to stabilize our workforce and allow a little bit of flex in that workforce so that we're not dependent on the gig workers and, and those individuals who aren't fully supported by the organization. Yeah, I say one of the things that we're looking at, um, you know, as we look at the baby boomers getting um, older and, and heading toward retirement, we're seeing those numbers that people are leaving the, the workforce go from 2 million to 3 million a year. So one of the questions we're asking, is there a transition plan for these individuals as opposed to a, a full-blown retirement date, um, maybe easing them into um, uh, not a full-time, but a part-time job or working with them a little bit more on what do they need from a benefits perspective, from a scheduling perspective, from a work environment uh, perspective. And, and really putting the onus on the organization, we are gonna have to be a lot more flexible and meeting staff where they are at as, a one, as opposed to a one size fits all. That's really gonna be key for us. It, it, it provides a challenge to make sure fairness and equity we have throughout the organization, but it's critical because not all employees want the same thing. Bob, but just, uh, did, you wanna, did you wanna jump in here? I think you had a question. Yeah, um, question from Mari. Uh, loved your description of of the value of virtual care. And I know, I'm sure that in negotiations between docs and government right now, the question's coming up, how much virtual versus face-to-face -face is appropriate? Any commentary on that? Absolutely, I'll try. So we're studying that and, and recognizing that families overwhelming are supporting the concept of virtual care, but we need to make sure that the outcomes uh, match the experience. Um, we have set an internal goal of 50% of care that could either be virtual or in-person, 50% we'd like to have happen virtually. It's, it supports uh, less congestion, new models of working, and, uh, and, and patient experience. And so that's our initial goal. Obviously, if you're coming to get your cast off, you're still coming into the hospital. We don't count those in the denominator. But of care that could be done virtually, we're trying to get to 50%. We're close. Thank you, Mary. Now Lydia, may I have one more quick one for Joel? Of course, Bob, go ahead. Uh, Joel, you made a, uh, a 
comment in passing about Epic. And when we look at physician colleagues, one of the big dissatisfiers we hear about physician practice today is the requirement to document, document, document. Has that been an issue with Spectrum Health and how are you managing that? Constantly looking at the time and the effort that's required of our physicians and, and seeing if there are other alternatives, whether it's a, a scribe or using somebody else to help with that process or streamlining the, um, the, the entry of data into our, our EPIC system so that we can cut down on steps um, or have some type of templates that, when, that are easily built that expedite the process. Um, yeah, I can't tell you how many times I would sit in a doctor's office and at the end of the employment, the doctor would then turn to the computer screen and spend several minutes typing in the notes while I just sat there as a, as a patient. Um, not the best experience, um, I think, for the patient. We, we do have a team that is, with the post-go live, that's focused on PI, constant process improvement with our EPIC system and, and identifying, getting the feedback from our providers uh, about that aspect specifically to streamline it and make it as easy and as, as less of a burdensome on them because that is not what we want to pay them for. The time to do administrative typing type work is to see and care for our patients. Thanks, Joel. Uh, and thanks, Joel and Mari.